Well, what are you worrying about this morning? Some of y'all worried about how long I'm going to preach. All of us, no doubt, in here had some things that we have worried about this week. Probably carried something in here with us this morning that may very well have crossed our mind during the service that we're worrying about. And we're going to pick it up and perhaps work on it even more when we leave today. I don't know of a human being I've ever met that did not struggle with worry. Why worry? Well, we're trying to figure out how we're going to solve problems and deal with situations and work with people or whatever particular cause of the worry it is. But the question I want to present you with this morning is why worry if we are bonded to Jesus, the Prince of Peace? Why worry if we are bonded to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace? The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, addressed head-on the issue of worry and how as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can deal with worry. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, this morning, or those of you who have got them on your phones, turn on your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. As you're turning there, allow me to give to you some of the background on the book of Philippians, and I'm going to be preaching the rest of this month a series of messages that are in your bulletin, uh, containing your bulletin from the book of Philippians. Paul writes the church at Philippi, and what composes the book of Philippians, he is writing to a group of people who were his strongest supporters. The city of Philippi functioned as a capital for the Greek armies. It became the showplace for Greek culture. Between 42 B.C. and 30 B.C., the city was revived by army veterans of Anthony and Octavian who moved there. Uh, Appropriate to our Italy outreach, it gave the city there an Italian flavor. And so the city was literally filled with veterans from these armies. There were many various cults in the city, especially that of the worship of the emperor of Rome. The church there, the believers there came to be, and the church there was founded on Paul's second missionary journey in AD 51. And as I shared with the children earlier, Paul and Silas were beaten there and thrown into jail. The church at Philippi had a real special connection to Paul. They sent him a gift of support to encourage him. But alongside of that, though, Paul had significant opponents there, and the church there struggled with Unity. In fact, Paul gives some instructions in the book to help two ladies who apparently in that church were having some significant conflict to try to walk with, work with them to help them get along better. In the immediate context of the verses we're going to look at in chapter 4, he seeks to give them encouragement and example of how to live successfully the Christian life. Verse 1 of chapter 4 speaks of steadfastness. Verses 2 and 3, he talks about unity. And then verses 4 through 9, he talks about living in the peace that God has for us. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice verse 6 is the command. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the, ver- and the promise, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. When Paul's writing to this church, struggling with unity, also struggling as all Christians were in that day and age with persecution and just with the basic concerns of life, the first thing he says to him in verse 6 is, Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Now, the word that is translated, do not be anxious, in the original Greek here literally comes with a force of impact. And he says, stop worrying. In other words, they are worrying. And he says, I want you to stop the worrying that you are engaging in right now. The idea behind this word anxious, or we would think of anxiety, means to be harassed with care, especially in relationship to the future and what would distract your mind. In other words, he's saying you guys are so worried about what's going to happen later today, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next year. You're so worried about the future that your mind can't even concentrate and focus on living for the Lord or focus on much of anything else because you are so consumed with worry. Have you ever had something in your life that was so consuming through the next anxiety and worry that you could hardly think through the next moment, let alone through the next day? It just harassed your mind constantly. Well, that's the problem that these Philippians were having. And you know, we struggle with that when we really deep down on the inside are not convinced that Jesus really is Lord. And whatever Jesus is not really Lord of, somebody or something's got to be Lord of it. And so worrying is my way of trying to become Lord over what I really don't believe Jesus is Lord over. If my particular circumstance in my life, I don't think Jesus can handle it, then i got to step in and handle it. And deep down on the inside, most of us know that we are inadequate to handle what worry is that we are worrying over. That's why it just consumes us more and more. Stop worrying. About what? He says about anything. Man, that's comprehensive. Stop worrying about anything. Now, we like to think that there are exceptions to the rule. That we have, he says, stop worrying about anything. Because every place that we have in our lives that is a place of worry is a stronghold that is being established in our lives that Jesus cannot have lordship in that place in our lives. In Psalm 23, the psalmist says that he sets a table before me and he anoints my head. But have you ever noticed in the 23rd Psalm where he says he sets the table before me and anoints my head? In the presence of my enemies. Now, we love to have the table set before us and the anointing take place when we're in church. We expect to have the table set before us and be anointed when we're studying our Bibles. We expect when we're with our friends and life's going good to have a table set before us and to know the anointing of God. But the psalmist said, you do that in the presence of my enemies. You see, the Lord deliberately allows things and situations to come into our lives that are like an enemy to us. 
that we feel overwhelmed by. And when we are in the presence of those enemies, he doesn't take away the enemy, but he says that I will anoint you in the presence of the enemy. I will spread a table before you in the presence of the enemy. So when I sit down at the table, God says, I'm not going to remove the enemy from you necessarily. But what I am going to tell you is, don't look at the enemy. Look at the table that I have spread before you. Look at the good stuff that I've put in front of you. See, a lot of times when we sit at the table and whatever is causing us anxiety and worry, we're focused on, and as I focus on that, I miss what God has put in front of me. I miss the provision that the Lord has that's right in front of me because I'm so focused on the enemy. And then I love how he says, I'm going to anoint your head. That speaks of healing. God says, I'm going to heal you in the presence of your enemy. How many of us think we can't get healing until the enemy is gone out of our life? He says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to anoint you in the presence of your enemy. Now, in the New Testament, anointing speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And so he's saying, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon you. Where? In the presence of your enemy. The whole book of Acts is the story of the early church in the presence of its enemies being anointed by God, empowered by God, to literally explode with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world of its day. Why? Because God says you're in the presence of your enemies, but I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon you. In the presence of your enemies. Now there's two types of anxiety that we tend to experience in life. The first is what I call the rogue wave of unexpected anxiety. We lived in Chesapeake periodically. I love to go down to Sandbridge. And if you got some decent waves coming in, it's so much fun to go out there and, and body surf in that water. But every once in a while when you're out there, you got waves that are coming in that pretty much the size that you're anticipating. They're a lot of fun. But every now and then, if you're not careful, you'll look up and you get a rogue wave. Now, a rogue wave is going to be several feet higher than the other waves. It comes with absolutely no warning. And you're out there and you just row through one wave and you're enjoying yourself and you look up and you turn around and there's the rogue wave. And it's way above your head. You're thinking, this is not good. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to get caught up in this thing. And man, when it hits you, it rolls you over and over and over again and it throws you out on the beach. You got water all in your eyes and your nose, et cetera, et cetera. You got sand all over you, et cetera, et cetera. That's the rogue wave. You didn't expect it. A lot of times in life, we get hit by rogue waves. Everything started going along the way we anticipate it's going to. And then we look up and there's the rogue wave. And when the rogue wave really gets you is when you're not looking. You think all the waves are just about at the level that you can control. And all of a sudden you realize you've gotten caught up in something a whole lot bigger than what's been going by. Then you're totally out of control. And anxiety sometimes comes when we have circumstances in our lives we totally didn't expect. Now the issue with the rogue wave is it's over and it's done with pretty quickly. And those anxieties come into our lives and they move out. They may knock us out for a day or two or a week, but we can pretty much handle the rogue waves. And the other thing we used to encounter down, or you tried not to encounter, down at Sandbridge, were sharks. We used to have, once a year we had our annual church picnic down at Sandbridge when I was pastored in Chesapeake. And we always had a baptismal service as part of it. And we had our baptismal service about 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. And some of my folks pointed out to me, they said, why do you always have the baptismal service at the same time that the sharks are feeding out here in Sandbridge? 
I decided a church member I didn't want to get rid of, you know, hey, let's go baptize. <laughs> the sharks are different than rogue waves. If you go down to Virginia Beach, Sandbridge has the highest percentage of shark attacks of the whole ocean front along that area. If you go down to the resort area, they rarely, for some reason, it's just a few miles north of there. They rarely have shark attacks. But Sandbridge is where they like to hang out. That's where the locals go. I guess we got better blood than you know the folks who come in from from outside. But the sharks are there year round. You have to be on the lookout for them every time you go into the water. And the sharks of anxiety are the things in our lives that are there all the time. The sharks of anxiety are, number one, the place of our greatest fear. What is it in your life today that you would identify is your greatest fear? That's a shark that you live with every day. That's a shark that you get up with in the morning and may go to bed with at night. It's a shark that you wake up in the middle of the night with. It's a shark that shows up in our dreams, our greatest fear. Second shark is the place of our greatest hurt or loss. The place of our greatest hurt or loss. And we revisit that over and over and over again. And we worry over it over and over again. The place of our greatest hurt or our greatest loss. And third is the place of our greatest failure. The third shark is the place of our greatest failure. All of us have a place in our lives. It may have been a time. It may be something that's contingent to our personalities. But we say that is a place of failure And so often we are scared to move past that place and we keep going back to it over and over again because that place of our greatest failure is a shark that seems to constantly be ready to bite at us and take chunks out of our lives. And Paul says, don't be anxious about the place of your greatest fear. Don't be anxious about the place of your greatest hurt or loss. Don't be anxious about the place of your greatest failure. Notice verse 6. He says, this is how you handle that anxiety. But in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication. In everything, all the details and circumstances of your life. How do you handle it? How do I take the anxieties of those sharks, of those rogue waves, in every detail and circumstance of my life? He says, first of all, by prayer. Now, I want to give you some of the Greek ideas behind these words that are translated into English. First of all, when he says by prayer, it's the attitude of a worshipful mind. In other words, when I go to the Lord, instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, I just need to lay all these things out to you, and I need to tell you how bad and terrible everything is and how bad this fear is, and just go on and on and on. If we do that, if we run the risk of we begin to praise the problem more than we praise God. 
We become more consumed with the issue and the circumstance and the person than we do the greatness of our God. And before long, the subject of worry is greater in our minds than God is. So when I go to the Lord, the first thing I need to do is begin to worship Him and say, Lord Jesus, I praise You, I bless You, I honor You as Creator, as Redeemer, as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. Let me tell you sometimes what you will find. By the time you get through praising Him, you will forget about the problem sometimes. Because we become so consumed with how great He is that the problem gets smaller as Jesus gets larger. Then when I do go to pray over the issue, I'm not bringing in my mind some weak God who's a pipsqueak who can't deal with anything. I've got the king of the universe that is involved in this situation, that is taking over it, and that is working. So I come to him, first of all, he says, by prayer. Second, by supplication. The word supplication there means specific need. I need to get real specific with God about what the issue is. It's not God bless me. God, I need your help. It's not, Lord, would you work? It's, God, here is the specific situation. This is the specific need. This is the detail that I'm bringing to you. If you and I want specific answers, we got to give God some specific requests. If you pray in general all the time, you'll probably never thank God for anything because it always stays so neutral and ambiguous, etc. But if you come to God with specificity, God, I'm asking you to work in this situation. God, I'm asking you to touch this person. God, I'm asking you to work in this. Pray with specificity. He loves to answer in specific ways. By prayer, worshipful mind, supplication, specific need. And then he says, and do it with thanksgiving. And that's all forms of prayer. Thanksgiving keeps us humble and it keeps us focused. When I praise Him, I thank Him. When I give Him request, I thank Him. When I am confessing to Him, I thank Him. And when I'm interceding, I'm thanking Him. Let me give you an idea of what this looks like and what this sounds like. I'm coming to Him and I'm saying, Lord, I'm asking you to work in this situation. I'm asking you to touch this person. I got this problem. I got this need I want to bring to you. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open this prayer time with praise to you and thanksgiving that you are hearing me and that you're going to work in this. Now, if my prayer is the form then of a request, Jesus, thank you that you have heard me. Thank you that you are hearing me. Thank you that you are going to answer. Thank you that I am going to live in an anticipation of seeing your activity and your answer. God's building faith in you when you do that. And you're saying, Jesus, thank you, and I am living in expectation of how you're going to answer this prayer. Confession. Lord, I need to confess sin to you. I need to confess failure to you. I need to confess that I blew it and I screwed it up, Lord. Lord, I need to confess that I screwed up my life or I screwed up this situation and I messed up. But then Jesus, I want to thank you that you have forgiven me. I want to thank you that you have set me free by your precious blood that was shed on the cross. I want to thank you that you have restored me into a relationship with you. Now if you don't stop and thank him, this is what the devil is going to do. He's going to get up beside you and he's going to say, you're not really cleansed. You're not really set free. You're as guilty as all get out. 
You still stink in the presence of God and to yourself. But if you will take time to thank Him for forgiveness and thank Him for restoration, then you will begin to walk in the freedom of the forgiveness and restoration that He has given you. And then when you intercede for somebody and pray for them, Lord, I want to thank You that You've heard me. I want to thank You that You're at work in their life. And Lord, I want to thank You that I'm anticipating and I am looking forward to what You are going to do. The thanksgiving builds faith and faith gets results. That's why he asked us to do that. And he says, then bring all your requests where? Every form of anxiety. The word request there means every form of anxiety. To God. In other words, I bring it into the presence of God. And as I do so, I recognize that he is my creator. He's my redeemer. And he's my king. That means that when I bring my request before the Lord, God's going to do several things in my life. The first thing He's going to do is He's going to give me, or He's going to work in my life with His power. That means the power of God as my Creator is going to be at work in my life. Now, if God created you, that means He loves you, and He cares about you, and He is involved in your life. I want you to write this down. God was about you before you were about you. God was about you before you were about you. In other words, God created us. I don't have time to go into it, go into the book of Ephesians, but the Bible teaches that you were in the mind and heart of God before you were in the mind and heart of your parents. You were in the mind and heart of God from the... Dawn of creation. You have, God's been about you before you were about you. So God cares about us more than we care about ourselves. So when I pray to Him and I present my request to Him, I am coming to my Creator who was about me before I was about me. Second, He is my Redeemer. And that means that God not only created me, but when I screwed up and I blew it and I sinned and I walked away from God and I talked told God to take a hike, the Lord looked at me and looked at you, and He says, I'm not taking a hike from your life, even though you've told me to take a hike from your life. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay after you. My son died on the cross for you. He has shed all of his blood on the cross for you. I love you. I want you. So do I know that God's going to listen to me, and I've got an audience with God when I bring my request and my anxiety is to him yes why because Jesus dying on the cross and rising again three days later from the dead tells me how involved God is already in my life and folks by the way God already dealt with the biggest issues in our lives he's already dealt with the biggest issues in our lives sin was the biggest issue we got and he took care of that on the cross if we'll just appropriate it our eternity where we're going to spend eternity he already took care of that on the cross, and in the resurrection. So I'm coming to Him as my Redeemer, and then finally I'm coming to Him as my King, and that means He's got the wisdom to handle the situation and to work with it. And the idea where it says you bring it to God, the idea here is you lay it before the Lord. I take the anxiety, the problem, the situation, and I lay it before the Lord. So it's I'm here the Lord, I'm in the Lord's presence, cognitive of I'm in the Lord's presence, and I just lay it out before the Lord. God, here it is. Here it is with specificity. Here it is with detail. 
Here it is, God, in your presence. Now, God's going to do two things, one of two things when we do that. First of all, sometimes he just says, leave it here and let me handle it. Just give it to me and let me handle it. Because every time you handle it, you screw it up, make it worse. Anybody ever noticed that? We're just so gifted with taking a bad problem and making it worse. I had to say it. I just had to open my mouth and say it. Oh, yeah, we did have to open our mouth and say it, didn't we? Well, I just had to deal with it. Well, we dealt with it all right. He's saying just just bring it before the Lord and God goes, just give it to me and let me deal with it. Let me get my hands into this situation for a while. And forget my bluntness, but sometimes God tells us, pull your hand back and shut your mouth. I've had times when the Holy Spirit of God has told me in conversation, and it wasn't real diplomatic, but it was, I just knew the Spirit of God was speaking to me. He only said two words to me. Shut up. <laughs> if you just shut up, I can handle this. You keep running your mouth, we are in more trouble than we're in already. So just shut up. Yes, Lord. The other thing God will do is just say, this is the way we're going to handle it. This is the way I want you to handle it. And God will begin to counsel you. When God begins to counsel you, you're usually going to find that the way He tells us to handle it is totally different from the way we were going to handle it. That the insight that He has on the situation is totally different from our insight on the situation. Folks, one of the reasons it's so important to read the Word of God and study the Word of God is because when you begin to pray over situations and circumstances, God takes His Word and uses that to show us, this is what I want you to do. Book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, read a chapter a day. You can go through the book in a month, keep doing it over and over and over again. And the Spirit of God will bring it up over and over again and say, this is how you're supposed to handle it. I've given you the instructions in my Word. Watch my son and how he handled things. And you handle it the way my son handled it. Bring it, he says, to God and lay it in his presence. And then notice his promise in verse 7. He says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God. The word there means the wholeness of God. It means harmony that is in rhythm. God says, I'm going to bring rhythm to your life. I'm going to bring my rest to your life. I'm going to bring my contentment to your life. Prayerful people are peaceful people. Prayerful people are peaceful people. When you and I pray in the presence of God through situations, God produces a rest in us a contentment in us, a wholeness in us, and He produces a rhythm in us. Now, I am no expert on music, so if I screw this illustration up, Valshara, you can begin to blink in my direction, all right? But let's say this about rhythm. Rhythm means you're on beat, okay? God gets us on beat. Second thing about rhythm is it's got energy in it. God will give you some energy in your life. God will give you some zest for living in your life. He's going to give you His rhythm in your life. Now, notice what it says next, which surpasses all 
understanding. I don't have to have God figured out in order to trust Him. And follow me closely on this. I don't have to have my whys answered in order to have peace. I don't have to have my whys answered in order to have peace. A lot of us go through life and we are tortured by the whys. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did I lose this person? Why am I dealing with this disease? Why, why, why? And we think if I can just get an answer to why, I will be at peace. And sometimes when we get answers to our whys, we're as much in turmoil, if not more in turmoil, than before we got the answer. And in many cases, God's not going to answer our whys. When it says that He's going to give you peace that surpasses all understanding, the idea there is that Jesus will give you a peace and you'll still have your whys, but you will have a peace that will go beyond your whys. You will have a peace that you don't understand why you've got it because the whys are still there. But if I know in the depths of my soul the who... I don't have to get the answer to the whys. To get the answer without the who doesn't get me anywhere. To get the who takes care of it all. I know that Jesus is with me. And Jesus is going to walk with me. And somehow, some way, God is working in this and through this. And He will bring glory to Himself. Because praise God, He does not work in terms of 24 minutes, 24 seconds, or 24 hours. He works in terms of eternity to affect His will and do what He has set His mind to. Follow me on this. He says the peace of God is going to guard you. The Greek word there means a detachment of soldiers that stand around. It was a military term. His peace is going to guard what? It's going to guard your heart. That's the idea in the Greek there of the center of feeling in you. He's going to guard your emotions. And then it says he's going to guard your mind. Now this word mind here is a fascinating word. It means design Purpose or plot? Design, purpose, or plot? What he's saying here is that God is going to guard the plot, the design, the purpose of your life. In other words, the peace of God is going to surround your life so that you can fulfill and live out the God-written, God-designed, God-purpose plot of your life. Do you remember taking basic English and when you did the literature section, what they always told you you had to do? Find out what the plot is. Because the plot is what the whole story is about. The peace of God is there to guide us and to guard us so that we live out the plot that God has for our lives. The purpose that God has for our lives. Nothing throws us off from the purpose of God from our lives like worry does. And he says the peace of God guards us so that we don't lose focus of the design and the purpose that God has for our lives. I was blessed as a boy 
with a grandfather who was about as crazy as you could ask for sometimes. So on my dad's side, I loved to hang out with him because grandfather always had tricks up his sleeves. And he was just crazy. My grandmother was about as straight-laced as you could be. I never could figure out in a million years how the two of them got together, but they got together. Grandfather had a first-time love with what was known as foxy poxy glue back in the 1970s. Any of y'all remember foxy poxy glue? I don't know if it's out there anymore, but grandfather always had his foxy poxy glue. And let me tell you what grandfather would do with his foxy poxy glue. Anything that got broken, he'd start out with something that had been broken. And then he would take that broken piece and he would glue it to that other piece. And when he got finished gluing, you couldn't tell where the broken piece was and where the rest of the piece was. And the next thing is that when he glued them together, the broken piece to the new piece, the broken piece that had been glued in took on the character of the larger piece that he had glued it to. He broke one of my grandmother's dishes one day, one of her antique heirloom dishes one day, which was not something you did. Grandfather goes in there and he gets his foxy poxy glue. He lays that dish out. He glues that broken piece into that dish so that there's continuity between it. You wouldn't know it was broken. But then the broken piece took on the character of the whole dish. What does the peace of God do in our lives? First of all, God starts with brokenness in our lives. And then as we are bonded to Jesus, it says here that all this happens in Christ Jesus. As we are bonded to Jesus, there is a seamlessness between Him and us. There is a continuity between Him and us. And then as we are bonded into Him, glued, foxy-poxied, if you will, into Jesus. We take on the characteristics of what we have been bonded into. Do you follow me on that? We take on the characteristics of His peace that passes understanding. You say, Pastor, how in the world do I get this peace of God that you are talking about? Very simple, in prayer, Presenting our requests and supplications to Him, we just get super glued. We get foxy poxied to Jesus. And when we do, we take on the characteristics of the one that we've been glued to King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you love us, that you have called us to be, Lord, glued to you. So that whatever it is that overwhelms us in life, the rogue waves, the sharks, that Jesus, you were there to hold us ever so closely to yourself. Lord, we thank you and we bless you, Jesus, and we praise you in this. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today or you are listening by radio or through our social media ministry, Facebook. And your life is broken. 
and you need and you desire to be bonded to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer to him. Dear Lord Jesus. Bond my life and my heart to you. And Jesus, I will follow you. Cleanse me of all the things that have produced the brokenness in my life. And Jesus, bind my life, my heart, to yours, Jesus. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've called upon Him, He has listened to you. He has saved you. You belong to Him. A walk with Him. And let us know about it so that we can encourage you and pray with you and get into your hands some literature that can help you grow close to Jesus and walk with Him. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here in, in this room right now and you have made that decision that I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing to walk out of this church so that we can pray with you and encourage you. The next step after we trust Jesus as our Savior and follow Him is what we call believer's baptism. It is a way of saying that I have decided to follow Jesus and I want to identify with Him and with His people. And Jesus commands us to be baptized and so I invite you to come so that we may receive you and to be part of a church family here that can pray for you, love you, walk with you, and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. So I invite you to come. If the Lord has been speaking to your life, perhaps, and saying, I want you in ministry of some type, we would love to pray with you about that. If there's any other public decision you need to make, why don't you come? Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.